You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Simply the best, well, the best, uh, you know, analysis, the best uh, people in the field that uh, speak the truth without fear and prejudice. And one of them uh, that I discovered in my broadcasting uh, career was uh, Professor, uh, Professor uh, Sipo Sepe. You know, when I sp- first spoke to him was on the platforms of uh, CI Radio. The program was Global Dynamics, and he blew my mind away. And I said, you know what? We've got this uh, show where we have George Galloway. We bring in people like uh, uh, Professor Patrick Bond and all. I have to, even uh, your, your good friend, uh, Professor Andre Duvanaga. But I said, you know what? Yeah. Someone I have to get is uh, our Professor, uh, you know, Sipo Sepe. And I tell you, listeners, he's there. He's looking good. He's looking strong. Hey, he's got his uh, Ferrari. I don't know whether he's got his Porsche there. But he's, he's <laughs> Hi, good evening, Prof. And tell me, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Ah, and I'm uh, excited to be invited to this show. Nah, I'm too. I'm very excited to have you. And, you know, as we know that uh, the world is uh, a different world. I mean, both you and I have been to the tra- tapestry of life. We experience apartheid. We have uh, experienced uh, the uh, democracy, the new democracy. I mean, you can't call yes. it new. When someone is 30 years old, he can't be new. He's, uh, I mean, yes. he's heading towards his 40, and then he, he's old again. But um, we look around uh, so many different scenarios, uh, Prof, and then we talk about, okay, SONA is coming. Uh, we, we, there'll be SONA. The, the parliament has been burned. The country's uh, uh, got no energy, no power, uh, you know, yeah. uh, we have a president that's a big dreamer. He says, oh, I have a dream. I don't know where I had that. I think the Americans said the American dream. That is no more a dream yeah. also. Prof, looking at the scenarios and looking at where we are today as a country, as a nation where, you know, when Madiba came in, there was so much of optimism. There'll be this uh, rainbow nation. It will be, uh, you know, the constitution, the whole world will want to emulate. And, uh, you know, we had uh, this... Uh, there was this fervor, and we won the, I think, the Rugby World Cup. We won that soccer tournament. You remember all that? There was yeah. that optimism, and everyone said, ah, you know, Africa. Uh, what happened to that, yeah. Prof? Tell me what happened in your, you know, in your analysis, in your expertise. Uh, tell me what has really happened. Why have we gone pear-shaped, Prof? Uh, well, there are a number of reasons. First, you had a compromise, and I don't think the ANC understood uh, what it was uh, agreeing to. Because uh, when you deal with power, power concedes nothing but power. And uh, what did happen, that those who were powerful and who had experience in governance also knew how to frustrate power. And in a sense, they came up with a constitution that would uh, take away authority from the executive. So that is the first thing that uh, happened. And uh, effectively giving power to other uh, sites, like the judiciary, like um, the, the Chapter 9 institutions, and the academy, and the, the media, which they controlled. And if you control the narrative, you control the future. So the ANC never had control of the narrative. But there was also a certain degree of naivety on the side of the ANC. And IBT, because they did not know, they assumed that uh, just because they went into a reconciliation, the people who were the former oppressed would themselves uh, say, apartheid was so bad that were willing to give in to some things. But what they did not expect is that those people will cling to the very benef- benefits that they had, the, the, all the privileges. 
if you look at um, the area of scholarship, scholarship is uh, largely dictated by mainly whites. Um, and even when we talk about uh, universities that are the best, these are universities that have always been uh, supported and developed by apartheid, while the historically black universities were left uh, in the state of underdevelopment. So when you had a new government, it did exactly the same. They followed the same template that apartheid did. So it was uh, expected mm -hmm. that with that uh, framework, nothing was going to work. But they also understood that to make people to buy into this democracy, you needed to, to create uh, immediate success stories. And what we saw was the microwaving of uh, new billionaires. And uh, the whole idea was to give a sense of people to say it is possible. But while they know full well that they, they all need, they needed to do is to select a few people, make them uh, prominent, and cover them, and create a sense that uh, if you're a black person living in a squatter camp, you can end up uh, also making it like Ramaphosa. But these are people who have been identified much early in the struggle. And what do you need to, we need to understand is that uh, it is easy to claim to be a revolutionary until the money is put on the table. This is why when the likes of Ramaphosa, who were champions of workers, it was very easy to buy them. All you, they needed to do is to put them in the very boards of companies that were exploiting the very same people that they used to represent. And suddenly, the very same people who were champions of uh, workers' rights suddenly became champions, champions of capital because uh, everybody had the price. So the likes of Ramaphosa, and you can see almost all the union leaders, they all end up being on the, in the boards of the very same companies that exploit workers. And when they get there, they are not co-opted to advance any worker interest. They are co-opted to understand and anticipate the frustration of workers so that they can also frustrate that the, the agenda of workers. And this is why you end up with Marikana. When you look at Marikana, Ramaphosa, despite having been a leader of the mine workers, a national union of mine workers, was on the wrong side of history. He was uh, more concerned about profits than uh, the demands of workers. But uh, that template was a template that you find throughout. Many of the leaders of the ANC were co-opted and they became uh, immediately uh, millionaires and billionaires. But uh, the idea of making instant millionaires was ready to give an impression to people that uh, uh, you are now in a new dispensation when in effect you are in the same dispensation. Then the second issue was um, the notion of corruption that Mandela talked about. Uh, it was easy for us to find fault with other people. But once we got into power, power corrupts. And in the case of the ANC, which was dominant nationally, absolute power corrupted the ANC absolutely. So hence you find that right now, the most the battle in the ANC is not about advancing uh, the cause of uh, the people, the ordinary, the workers, uh, to address uh, the issue of land. The main occupation is really about getting into position of influence where there is money. So that was also a problem that you also had the position of being in power, which in itself was corrupting. Now we see that the ANC has reached a, a cul-de-sac. Even as we talk about load shedding, what you, you must understand is that this is a self-created crisis. 
we are a country and a continent that is endowed with natural resources. And uh, here we are being told and given loans. And those loans are simply, uh, we are being trapped into a state where we will not be able to pay the loans. And hence, we talk about the debt trap. And once you are in a debt trap, all the money will go towards paying that, those loans. And if you look at those loans, they are not even sufficient to address our energy security. So at the top of uh, this failure is Ramaphosa, who had always been given this responsibility, but at the same time, who was always more concerned about the, the interest of uh, companies like Glenco. Even when you look at the state capture, everywhere else, people found that the Glenco is a, a corrupt uh, company that corrupts and bribes the leaders. But the, in South Africa, where it also had a, a role to play, where Ramaphosa was a chairperson, suddenly you have a, a commission that does not even find anything against Glenco. Everywhere Glenco has been paying uh, for uh, uh, what you call it, the penalties for uh, having bribed officials. But for some reason, we think uh, in South Africa it was going to behave differently. And that tells you something about the, the, the Zondo Commission itself. So this is where we are. But at the same time, the judiciary itself has uh, clearly been captured. Despite the noise that they make about the best constitution in the world, the constitution and the judiciary have not played their role in ensuring that uh, the, we address the socio-economic imbalances that were created by apartheid. So you find the, the, the judiciary now being an instrument that second guesses the executive. And of course, one must also say the executive itself is part of the problem. But what we have now is that the people have no longer power. The only power that they, see, they think they have is in the streets. This is why when ministers go now to places from years when they were welcomed, they are actually being chased. You have a president who is booed time and again in the communities because the communities are saying, we don't relate to you. Now you now have a party that if you look at the, the, uh, the movement, the process towards uh, its election, one thing that was not discussed was policy. Now the discussion around the radical economic transformation, which is really about how do we radically change the economy in such a way that being black does not mean being poor, being helpless, being landless. These are the realities that apartheid, uh, best, uh, apartheid leadership uh, gave to African pe people of African descent, and it's the same. And when you listen to Ramaphosa, what he comes up are the same apologies of why African people should not get back their land. They're still pariahs in the land of their birth. And as we speak, Africans occupy 11.5% of uh, the land in this country, according to government's its own uh, audit. And that should be very embarrassing. It should not only be embarrassing to the ANC, it should be embarrassing to all black people that they, in the country of your birth, you still occupy a minuscule. Wherever you find Africans, you find them in congested places, uh, dirty, no water, uh, sewage is not functioning. So this is uh, the reality of what ANC has come to be. But they, those are not the discussions that the ANC is concerned about. It is more about who they're going to backstep, who's going to be removed. Even as we go to the sauna, the question in the minds of people is which minister is going to be asked. It is not about whether Ramaphosa should be asked himself. 
you know we have palapala i mean he talks about the uh, being anti-corrupt anti-corruption but every time ramaphosa is faced with the challenge of dealing with corruption that involves him he rushes the court and for some reason the court always agrees with him for instance there were issues that were in the emails personal emails he was the first to rush and talk about the Gupta thing. We must come, go to the depth and uh, and di- uh, discover what is in those emails. He didn't even say who got the emails and whether they got the, them correct. But when his emails came out, it was Ramaphosa who rushed to the court and say those emails were uh, is uh, whatever um, email was hacked and that should not have been uh, in the public domain and asked that the information there must be. May, it must be sealed, and it was sealed. So it is okay for him to condemn other people, but when it comes to him, he rushes the court, and the court that preaches transparency on everybody. When it comes to Ramaphosa, there's no need for transparency. We had the CR17 funding campaign, where there are allegations that some of the beneficiaries are companies and also judges. Instead of us getting to the to the heart of the problem, he rushed to the courts and asked the courts to make sure that this is not available. So again, the courts that always preach transparency, when it comes to Ramaphosa, they were quiet. Civil society, that they, uh, was always talking about the right to know. Even we had an organization called the right to know. You don't see that the organization up in the street saying, we have a right to know about the stories that involve uh, Ramaphosa. We have Palapala. You have not seen the Helen Susan Foundation, the Ahmed Katara Foundation, or the, the mm. South African Institute of Race Relations. All this rushing to say we need to go deeper into Palapala matter. Instead, they are all quiet. So you could see how the state has actually been captured, how even the judiciary has been captured. So this is where we are at the moment. I tell you, very eloquent indeed, the Prof. That's why I enjoy you. And, uh, you know, there's some of the points you made, you spoke about the scholarship at, uh, uh, you know, university levels, and you talk about our education system is in crisis. And as you see, the, the, the amount of uh, students are getting uh, pregnant at a very young age, and then you have uh, murders yeah. at school. Uh, you know, there's a lawlessness and uh, the, the, the type of education that you're talking about, 30% and so forth, it has a, a lowered, a mo- a lower and lower. And there's, there's always this argument that... Uh, you know, uh, uh, our people, even our, you know, I'm talking about us as uh, those uh, that were marginalized, were better educated when it was during the time of apartheid. I mean, that's a debatable, but perhaps you could see people like yourselves. I mean, you are from that system, but look at how eloquent and how brilliant you are, a powerful mind indeed. Maybe <laughs> they had a better system and so forth, but uh, it was an evil. We know it was an evil. The point uh, has been taken. Yep. Then, as you said, token uh, million years. Yes, uh, they've created a, a, a black million years, and one of them is Cyril Ramaphosa, but these are yep. all people uh, that belong to the system, uh, whether we like it or not, Anglo-American still runs this country. Uh, you know, they still yep. hold the keys to everything, and we know that. And then uh, we talk about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the notion of uh, corruption and uh, all that uh, that is uh, getting bigger and bigger. But the trap, and uh, you know, we are being trapped. Cyril Ramaphosa is taking bigger and bigger and bigger loans. He's just going with his hand with a begging bowl. And who's going to pay for that? The future of this country, the peer, young people of this country are going to pay for that. How are yes. they going to pay for that? God only knows that, because that is- the, 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 the country will be taken away by these people, the IMF. And you know, you know how they work, uh, Prof. They're going to take this country away right from under our noses. And you talk about RET, the RET, uh, you know, uh, 
you look at Jacob Zuma. I, I want to ask you this question. Jacob Zuma, perhaps, perhaps he wasn't the type of person that the uh, West wanted. U.S. didn't like him. Uh, you know, uh, U.K. didn't like him. And, you know, Zuma, when he ha- was in control, and I mean, what Guptas did is nothing to what the Anglo-American has done or how the, what the Ruperts have done and the or, or Oppenheimers. I mean, they say Gupta has only taken 1% of, the, of what these people do. Uh, what's your re- re- reaction? Because Jacob Zuma, when he was in control, the country had, you know, it wasn't pear shape. Your thoughts on that, Prof? Well, there was no doubt. I mean, uh, what, what you had with Jacob Zuma was uh, the control of the narrative and a misrepresentation of all sorts of things. For one, the notion of radical economic transformation, which uh, they poo-pooed, was really to say it cannot be right that a quarter of a century later, Africans are still the most impoverished, that we have not addressed the economic relations. This is what he was attacked for. It was a cultural attack. And also Zuma was also a president who, whose point of departure was with the ordinary. So all they needed to do is to present him in that negative light. And you are actually correct. Uh, whatever one can make of the Guptas, what uh, the numbers da- do indicate that the, the amount that they are supposed to have gotten is minuscule compared to what the Oppenheimers and the Ruperts and the big companies have been getting for the last 40 years. Brian Mulefer talked about how some companies, their contracts have been renewed. These are called Evergreen for the last 40 years. And he says, let's talk about the Guptas. He says, in terms of the, them supplying ESCOM, he's talking about, the, about 4%. But Africans have been so damaged by apartheid education that they are not even willing to ask who controls the 96%. This is what you call a serious miseducation of African people. But it is also rooted in the self-hate. This is why when we took over, the first thing that we did was to want to run to historically white universities because we associate excellence with whiteness. Even as we speak, we have not even able to make sure that we sustain the institutions that we had. You go to the townships, the schools that were there, high schools that produced some of us have collapsed. You look at the towns, simple thing like maintenance has, is not happening. So part of it is the self-hate. And this is what Zuma was talking about, that we needed to be proud of ourselves. And he is one African who was not apologetic about who he is. When all other leaders were apologetic about their Africanness, they wanted to be seen to be speaking good English. And Zuma, through no fault of his, like many other people in rural areas, did not have the type of benefit of education that some of us in urban areas had. But we hold it against him. Apartheid oppresses black people. Black people blame others for the handiwork of apartheid. But what Zuma was, he was uh, sufficiently aware of uh, the challenges that ordinary African people were facing. And this is why in higher education, he made sure that uh, poverty should not be something that determines whether you go to university or not. It's just a pity that that when our students go there, they don't take advantage. When some of us, we we had to apply for bursaries, we had to fight, but when something comes for free, 
it then comes to a, 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 it is less uh, valued. And we need to revisit that notion of value, that there, there is nothing that will be given for free and people will value it. I've seen it when I was in government, where people were given houses because they were given free houses. They could sell those houses for nothing without even knowing that the, the amount that they sell for those houses is 10 times less the value of the house because they got it free. Some even went to an extent of saying, uh, I voted three times and I never got the house. Almost uh, equating having a house with a vote. And this is the miseducation that occurred. So we must also own up for the failure of educating our people. But that failure must lie, must be laid on the doorstep of the ANC because the ANC is the one that made sure that the, the apartheid curriculum is not changed. As we speak, books like I write what I like are not even prescribed in our schools. Instead, they still go on talking about Shakespeare because those books will liberate the mind of the African child. So the enslavement of African people continues with the African leaders because they have been co-opted. And this is what the slavery also did. Under slavery, you had what you call house slaves who will tell the master about the, the slaves without wanting to escape. So those of us who are trying to escape the system of subjugation are then the better brunt of the attacks. And Zuma bore the brunt of white supremacy, which Mandela said, we need to be very careful. And he was putting black people first. And he was talking about issues of land. Now the leaders of today, they are coming up with all sorts of excuses why the land should not be given back to African people. As I said, you find the majority squashed in small spaces. And it is not embarrassing to these Africans because they have been colonized sufficiently. They are actually an embarrassment to what leadership, to the concept of leadership. Prof, you make a brilliant point there indeed. And as you said, the colonization, not only here, I mean, if, if you look at the Ukraine war, I mean, they're, they're giving you the, they, they actually tell you, the U.S. and the U.K. and uh, so forth, they tell you you're either with us or you're against us. And you notice that uh, Russia has been made the bad uh, person, but, uh, you know, Russia's uh, sovereignty has been threatened. And, uh, you know, you notice what happened to people like Imran Khan. He just made one trip down to uh, Putin and next day he was out. I mean, the Americans blatantly got rid of Imran Khan, a top leader. And then uh, you notice that uh, they actually dictate to our government uh, where Nalidi Pando, Minister Nalidi Pando, uh, he said, told uh, uh, the Americans, please don't interfere. Don't tell us what to do. We're not children. We, 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 we can make our own informed decisions. But it seems as if uh, here they're giving uh, CR uh, lots of money for green energy. And on the second hand, I mean, uh, and uh, behind the scenes, they are buying uh, our choice great coals uh, to burn the, the fires in Europe because they're in winter now and they got uh, no other resources. So the hypocrisy, Prof, this is the world of hypocrites that we're living in. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is, they still rule the dollar. You know, they will still say the. I mean, the, the, the Saudis want to take away the petrol dollars, but there will be repercussions for that. So we're living in uh, living in the world. Uh, someone will may tell you, Prof, heads are win, tails you lose. How do you react to that, Prof? Well, I mean, we must go back to the drawing board. Uh, we must understand that we used to have a party that was strong, that had the military might. But when people believed that the system must go, it did. 
So what we need to do is to find a way in which uh, we can locate the agency back to the people. For now, what the ANC did in 1994 was to demobilize the people, to simply say, vote for us and we'll deliver. And the people have been voting and waiting. Now it's time for the people to simply say, no, we are not going to start uh, leaving you, giving you the blank check, blank check as we have actually given. And this is where the problem is, that the agency, which the Black Consciousness Movement gave to African people to become uh, almost uh, their own liberators, was actually removed in, in, uh, in 1994 with the language of uh, uh, service delivery, which will simply say, do nothing, vote, and uh, things will be fine. So we need to go back to those seminal lectures by the likes of Biko. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we had our our heroes that, that spoke out and, you know, some even uh, will we'll talk about, uh, you know, assassinations and all taking place. Uh, but we'll get that to, uh, to that uh, a bit later, Prof. But, uh, you know, the, the, the real situation is, uh, as you spoke about Sulu Ramaphosa being uh, from the unions, I mean, uh, being uh, Mandela's blue-eyed boy, I, he was actually chosen by Mandela uh, over Mbeki. I mean, Mandela wanted uh, uh, CR to be his, his, his person. But then you notice that the unions and the ANC, they had, they had the mandate, they, you know, they, they, they had everything. I mean, even ESCOM, when ESCOM was given to, uh, uh, taken over by the new uh, uh, government, uh, it was, it was functioning. Everything was functioning. As you said, their maintenance, they neglected all. But with the unions and, uh, with the uh, ANC, uh, we found that a lot of strikes were taking place. Uh, uh, they were not nurturing uh, the new democracy in the way that it should be nurtured. And uh, many say that the ANC, complicit uh, with the, the uh, unions, uh, have brought the country to where it is. How do you uh, respond to that, uh, Prof? No, there's no doubt the, the unions were complicit because uh, the union bosses were co-opted. Once you get co-opted by a person who exploits the people you represent, then you are finished. And this is why they became sweetheart uh, union, uh, unions, unable to represent the workers. And unfortunately, the workers, because of the history, they continue to believe in, in those people. Hence, you saw the, uh, the establishment or the coming into being of organizations like AMCO. Where, where workers were saying these historical international unions are no longer representing us, but are representing their, their, their bosses. So this is where it is. And we have seen also COSATU itself on the matter of the coal, even though this will affect the largely workers, they have not been, they have actually uh, almost went behind to support the Ramapos. Even when he, he ran for presidency, he, it was the unions that supported him. Even though Ramaphosa was making very clear that he's pro-business, he was not pro-workers, they actually, because they were bought, they did that. So we can't talk of a, a Kosatu anymore. What do we, we have is simply people who are misleading uh, the workers. And I think it is very, becoming very clear because many workers are pulling out of the unions in the same way that people on the ground are also saying they're not going to vote for the ANC because they see for what it is. 
And then, uh, you know, you talk about the unions and many say, if you look at the bank balances of these unions, they got so much of money. Show me any, I mean, what are they doing for the people with all the subscriptions they've got? Are they building projects? Are they uplifting uh, those uh, people that they're taking, you know, the subscription from and uh, uh, fat, fat bank balances, but uh, no, uh, showing nothing for the people. Uh, Your thoughts on that, uh, Prof? No, no, that's very true. I mean, they have a lot of money, but I think... um, the people of this country have been very clear. They no longer trust the unions. They no longer trust the ANC. And the only people who still hope that the ANC can be uh, renewed are usually the old people. But they generally, the young people don't even give a damn about the ANC. So what is necessary is that these young people who are said to be born free are saying they are actually in economic shackles. They don't see the freedom that uh, people are talking about. So the future lies with those young people who led the the struggles around the roads must fall, around the fees must fall, because they can see that this democracy is not working for them. Absolutely, Prof. The democracy is not working for them. Then we we had a chance of, uh, you know, seeing a coalition politics. And what a failure what a failure indeed and then you notice the small small parties were captured by whom by the anc and now you got a mayor in johannesburg hey one mayor and he says i will fix the potholes (laughs) i mean that that that, that's a level of thinking that tells you a lot anyway it should not be surprising because uh, our president after talking about the smart cities he was seen uh, jubilant in fixing a pothole so if the president can see fixing a pothole as an achievement, why should we expect the mayor, a young person, to think differently? So they are at the level of a pothole thinking because uh, they are bankrupt at the level of thinking. I like that. And uh, yeah, the Professor du- Andre Duvernagel says, hey, I'd like to have my poiki cost near the pothole. But, uh, you know, on a more serious note, uh, Prof, uh, I mean, uh, this is absolutely, you know, shocking. You hear things like this and, uh, you know, you look at... Cadre depo- uh, deployment, uh, you know, notice the DA making a big sound and big noise and uh, perhaps some success and uh, ANC has been forced to reveal how do they uh, work with their cadre deployment. How has cadre deployment affected, uh, you know, uh, the functioning of this country? Perhaps and many say that uh, people that were brought in were not uh, qualified to do the job that was at hand. Uh, your reaction? Well, it's uh, actually... Not the full story that the people who were employed who did not uh, did not have the proper qualifications. The problem with them is that uh, they understood that they got the position through the party, and they put the party first uh, before they put the work. Because uh, in terms of a constitution, uh, when you have uh, positions like DGs, director generals being uh, being vacant, the adverts must go out. But the, the advert goes go out, and the ANC has its own people that it will consider who will meet those requirements. Because if they don't, anyone has a right to challenge. But where the the problem comes in is that the, the people then simply spend time being grateful for having been chosen by the African National Congress, and this is where the whole notion of cadre deployment collapses. But on its own, all parties. When they get into power, they try to put people who are aligned to their own uh, uh, policies. Uh, it is why, it is for that reason that post-1994, 
most of the DGs that were appointed were appointed, they were more linked to the African National Congress. But the ultimate, after some time, because of the resources and because of misdirection, you end up with these people no longer paying attention to the job that was advertised, but making sure that they please the ministers, because it will be the ministers who would have played and the deputy president who would have played a role. So this is this thing that needs to be challenged is that we need to get to a different form where public servants are public servants. They are not a public uh, there to serve the ANC. At the moment, most public servants uh, serve their political parties in, in, instead of the people. But the ANC has decided to go to court to uh, review that decision. And it is very likely that uh, it will win. Uh, Ramaphosa never loses cases in, in, in court. Most of the cases uh, uh, tends to win. But at the same time, there's also the need for what you call a policy space. Uh, the whole notion of uh, uh, separation of powers is something that the court may also want to look at. And it is likely that once it goes to the constitutional court, uh, the ANC might be given a leeway, but there might be a, a riders that the, the process must be very different and it must be transparent. And uh, and this is what Zondo was always, almost also suggesting. But even Zondo himself, as uh, Mantache says, he is also a beneficiary of cadre deployment. If uh, he talks about cadre deployment, man, he must take on Mantache, who has said he himself is a product of cadre deployment. Mm, absolutely. Well said, the prof. And also, it seems as if the media is playing this up. I don't know how true this is uh, when you look at uh, Paul uh, Machetile, uh, that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa is not too happy that Paul Machetile will be the deputy president. Uh, is, that, uh, is there any truth in that? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Because uh, remember, Paul Machetile has been very clear about where he stands on issues of Palapala. He did say that issues like Palapala are bringing disrepute to the ANC and they, they cannot be ignored. He says they both state capture and the, the Palapala matter. So it is possible that with the EFF taking this matter to court, and uh, if uh, Ramaphosa is charged or he's found uh, to be wanting, Paul is the uh, immediate beneficiary. And uh, those who are, have been in the pocket of Ramaphosa for a long time are not keen to have uh, uh, Paul Machetile. They don't actually trust him. They actually think he might actually work with the opposition to remove uh, their, their pet or puppet. Absolutely. And uh, recently uh, we had a tribute paid to uh, uh, Free uh, Jean Walla in, 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 you know, in Parliament. And uh, how do you remember her? I mean, uh, the EFF and a few other uh, parties, uh, they really, they, 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 they spoiled a tribute by, you know, bringing in disparaging remarks on, on the lady. I mean, uh, she, uh, I think for Oliver Tambo, she organized him uh, to, 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 you know, to get to, from here to UK and so forth. What was your views? And uh, what about these young politicians, uh, especially uh, Juju? I mean, uh, Julius Malema, is he making the wrong sounds and is he giving the, the youngsters look up to him? Is he giving the wrong signal, uh, Prof? Well, the, uh, uh, Malema gets his, um, what you call the influence from the weaknesses of the ANC. And uh, there are times when he says uh, things that are correct. And there are some times when he says things that are there to shock. And uh, he, their position is that the, the EFF was very clear that once they go into parliament, they're going to shake parliament. And that's what they've been doing. 
we we may not uh, approve of some of their um, activities and uh, outlandish uh, behavior. But uh, there is no doubt that the vi uh, parliament has become much more more vibrant. But when it comes to free uh, 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 Nuala, we need to also to pay uh, respect and uh, must honor those people who carried it during the dark days of apartheid, who were out there uh, saying apartheid has to go, who were saying South Africa must be made ungovernable. They played their role. And as the, the, the first speaker, one of the things that she was able to do was to bring decorum into uh, parliament. She was a no-nonsense person, and uh, she was very clear about the rules. And I think uh, they, she played a role, and uh, we need to honor that, and we must move on. Yeah, and uh, then you find that uh, John uh, Steenhuisen, uh, you know, making uh, the right noise for the, at the right time. And many have said that uh, when you look at the DA, uh, when they running, uh, they run the Western Cape, they run it uh, very, you know, at a optimum uh, level. Even if you uh, watch in KZN, they run that Mugeni uh, uh, municipality. It's a success story. Uh, what bearing will this have on an informed voter? They'll say, you know what, perhaps the DA is doing something right and maybe we'll all uh, be, uh, go behind them, uh, Prof? Well, that has been uh, the single uh, public signature of the DA, and it has been the strategy to say where we govern, we do it better. And they say they were going to demonstrate that. And that was what Hedera did in Cape Town to simply show that uh, you can have a city run and you can have a, a, what they call clean audit. You can uh, start addressing some of the issues that were, uh, were clear failures. And uh, she took um, and the, uh, under her, the DA moved from one uh, town to another until ultimately they got the, the whole province. But the, the, their message is always the same, that where we are, we'll make sure that we address the portal, we'll make sure that there's water. We'll... So the ordinary people, that's all they want. They don't want the uh, theory, they don't want ideology. They want to have schools that function. They want uh, water taps that run. They want the uh, roads that, uh, where there are no portals. They want the trains that are on time. They want the police that are, are functioning. So this is uh, what one may call the minimum requirement, even what the coalition should actually be focusing on. I mean, if you see uh, somebody like uh, Herman Mashaba, when he was a mayor of uh, 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 Johannesburg, mm. uh, the parties, uh, there was less infighting because he was willing to bring them to what is uh, what they could agree on. If he says we have slums, we have to make sure that we clean the slums in they agreed. If he says uh, with their um, uh, problems with portals, uh, they all agreed. If they complained about uh, uh, having to uh, the outsourcing, he says let's insource the workers. And that's what he was actually doing, to say there are things that we can do that we can agree on. But the problem is, once you, you have parties who forget that they, they are there to serve the people, instead what they do, they become more obsessed with the power. And hence you have the collapse that you see within the, uh, the coalitions. But the, uh, Mashaba gave an example of what it takes to put parties to work together. And when he resigned, he resigned because of the politics of the DA. He didn't resign because he was considered to be a failure.
Yeah, I agree with you there, Prof. And also, you know, you look at all, uh, most of our municipalities have been compromised. Uh, none of them, uh, most of them don't have a clean audit. And it seems as if, uh, you know, uh, they owe billions and billions uh, in, 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 in uh, bills, in water bills, and uh, they, uh, to ESCOM and so forth. Uh, why? Why do we have such a majority of municipalities not functioning uh, at its optimum? Wait, uh, and who who, who no, do you blame, Prof? Well, at the local level, it's even worse because uh, it's all about the scramble for resources. And you mm -hmm. also have teachers who are members of councils who are both uh, supposed to be teachers and also uh, at the same time uh, yeah. masquerading as uh, councillors. So until we, we, we deal with issue of compliance, and you also have people who have been employed at that level mm -hmm. who have no clue about the, uh, the regulatory environment. And as a result, you find very few municipalities under the agency to have any clean audit whatsoever. You know, Prof, uh, let's look at, uh, you go to Britain now, you go to Britain, you'll find uh, that uh, the Welsh and then you'll find the Scottish and you'll find the Irish and the Englishmen. They don't see eye to eye because, hey, you know, each one says, no, 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 you know, they are all whites. Look at our country. We have our black brothers here with the Gokosa, the Zulu, the Soto, the Indebele. Uh, you know, there is no, I mean, there is racism here. I mean, factionalism and tribalism is so yeah. rife in this country that you are frightened. Even, uh, I mean, Soto, if he's in KZN, he acts to act Zulu, uh, uh, Prof. <laughs> Your take on that? Well, I think uh, what we did, we spent a lot of time talking about the reconciliation between black and white people. And we never you forgot that there was also a need to reconcile among different groupings. And uh, that, that is the challenge mm. because uh, we, it was be, because we're so obsessed with whiteness that all our problem pro, programs were geared toward making white people to feel at ease uh, to feel like they are, want, they are wanted. That was the, the obsession of the NC government. And also because it also looked up to white people and it didn't give them what is happening to our African people. But if we are going to talk about the reconciliation, that reconciliation must apply throughout. We must understand that one of the things that the party did was to uh, promote the, the policy of divide and rule. And we can't pretend that that did not affect, affect black people themselves. In the same way that it affected, it still affects the black political parties. That even where they could agree on things, they are obsessed with uh, uh, almost outsmarting each other. When in effect they should be putting the black child at the center, the black worker at the center, the black nanny at the center, and the black teacher at the center, the police and all that. But they, they are caught up in this divide and conquer and divisions that were spawned by apartheid and also what's worse is other along tribal lines. You know, Prof, one more point here is that we, we talk about all these, uh, you know, tribalism and, uh, you know, having, uh, I'm a superior race to, to you then. If you, if you look at the history of Shaka Zulu, I mean, he had many people murdered, I mean, uh, you know, of his own uh, MPs and if, if they let him down, his stepbrother and so forth. There was always this, uh, I mean, you look at the uh, monarchy now, the Zulu monarchy, uh, there is uh, infighting already. I mean, <laughs> there's no consensus of opinion amongst them. But the point to make here, Prof, is uh, in, in this country where we're having, uh, you know, so many uh, different issues, uh, when you look at federation, World Federation, I mean, KZN, you're predominantly Zulu, 
And, uh, you know, but they, uh, hopefully the Indian and the Zulu, they, they, I mean, they do get along well. They can make things happen. This uh, KZN has a uh, airport. It has the, uh, the, the, the ports and so forth. And, uh, there's, you know, it has the resources and tourism. Perhaps it can be uh, very viable. We noticed that the Western Cape, how would federation work in South Africa? Will it be a win-win situation or would uh, it, it be a premature, you know, uh, rumbling, uh, Prof? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's unlikely to happen. I think uh, the hegemonic voice is uh, really uh, anti the federation. Uh, but mm-hmm. what people will do is that, um, you see, you can achieve what, uh, what you want without even calling it anything. Simply make sure that uh, things in your space work. Just like uh, if you have schools that function, you can just make the school function and uh, ignore all the noise. So what the Western Cape has done is to say, we are going to do things differently. And KZN can do the same thing, and Gauden can do the same thing. And uh, there is enough power uh, that uh, lies with provinces and with municipalities and uh, with the metros. That's why the concentration should be, and it should be about delivery. And the whole notion of a, a declaration of independence will become I- irrelevant because ultimately it is not what people want. What people want to do is to live in harmony and they be and live in a country that provides them with the equal opportunities and a country where if you work hard, you know that they will, they will be rewards. At the moment, that's what we, we, we do not have. Prof, uh, I know that, uh, you know, you have taken your time off and a lot of load shedding that worrying you and this and that. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, on a on your last note, uh, let's talk about load shedding. Uh, should they go green? Should they go private? Uh, some have made the suggestion that, uh, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa is deliberately pushing us to uh, go private, to privatize uh, electricity because he's got his brother-in-law, you know who I'm talking about, in the yes. in 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 a position where he can take over and even uh, control uh, power, your your thoughts. Well, there's there's no doubt uh, that uh, load shedding is a self-created crisis, and Ramaphosa is at the center, and uh, we we need to just acknowledge that reality. The second thing is that uh, we have the wrong people at at, uh, at the helm. I mean, you you have. Uh, a person who knows nothing about engineering, who, who was parachuted into the position <laughs> was white. Even when the person is clearly failing, and what we did was to demonize people who made sure that they addressed uh, a low shedding, people like uh, Matera Koko and Brian Molefe. But we've demonized them to an extent that uh, we can't bring ourselves to saying, guys, how did you do it? And even now, Matera Koko continues to look at all the plans that they, they make and he tells us that as an engineer, most of the plans simply represent catastrophe. So what we have, we have a self-created problem that is led by the president of this country. Actually, this is the worst president this country has actually produced. Yeah, Prof, you know, on, on, on the ESCOM issue, uh, deliberately uh, you know, sabotaging, stealing, uh, taking diesel and putting stones into the generators, uh, what do you read into that? I mean, uh, the derator uh, fired quite a few people, uh, but what's your take on it? No, I mean, we must ask ourselves, what is it that, uh, why did those things not happen during the time of Brian Molefe? Why, mm. why was Brian able to stop load chaining for three years? Why was there no stealing? All these are uh, things calibrated and engineered 
so that we get to a situation where you end up with the uh, privatization of ESCOM. As people like Noam Chomsky says, that the, when you want to pro- pro- privatize something uh, and a social function, you make sure that the, the public entity is defunded. You make sure it doesn't work. Then you call your brothers to come and take over. And that is what we are, we are experiencing. Yeah, like uh, SAA. But they sold it for seven rands or one rand. I don't know. I mean, uh, and and you you know exactly what happened. And you find the type of individuals uh, that uh, were doing this pronouncement. Many uh, say that they are doing the bidding of the uh, the conglomerates or their masters from uh, the uh, the Vesta Prof. Uh, thank you very much for being with us uh, this evening. Perhaps your parting words before I let you go. Well, we must believe in our democracy. We are free. And we must locate the possibility of change within the people. Uh, and the leaders that we have, because they're failing us, we must find a way of removing them. And we should not, we must find a way in which we don't have to wait for five years. When a leader fails, there must be a mechanism that they are removed immediately. And uh, this is uh, the only future that uh, South Africa has to make sure that uh, the people shall govern. And uh, if the governors fail them, they must be removed. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Sipo Sefer. I will definitely talk to you very soon, and uh, you have a beautiful evening ahead. Thank you very much.